Regardless of where you stand regarding the conflict of Ukraine, it is a fact that with every military conflict, there are innocent victims of that conflict. And we are seeing that in the millions of people that are being displaced from their homes with potentially no home to return to. So for as long as the conflict is going on, I'm including this segment with every one of my podcast episodes. An opportunity for us to take a minute and a moment for those who are suffering because of the conflict. For those of you who wish, who wish to participate, please hit the pause button for a moment, for a thought, or a prayer. There is continued and urgent need for humanitarian assistance. There are many respectable and notable organizations out there, and I am appealing to all of you to provide support in whatever way you are comfortable with. I know that we are all going through difficult times, so even if you are not in a position to make donations, helping to spread the word would be immensely helpful. With the help of some groups that I belong to, I've compiled a list of some organizations that are helping with the current conflict. And you can find this list at www.coyote.com Ukraine. While it's not a comprehensive list, it does offer us a place to start. Once again, that's coyote.com Ukraine. Thank you for listening to this. I don't often get involved in causes because there are just too many. But while this conflict might hopefully soon be resolved, the humanitarian need will be ongoing for quite some time. Please find a couple of minutes to see how you can help. And like I said, even if it's just to help spread the word, that would be wonderful and amazing. Thank you. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Coyote Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas. Uh, Today, we have a small business spotlight going with Mr. Aaron Radcliffe. Welcome, welcome, Aaron. Tom, thanks so much for having me. So you're halfway across the globe. Where are you at? Currently based in Hong Kong on, yeah, on the other side of the globe. Um, I think a, a full 12-hour difference in timeline from you. Uh, I've been in Hong Kong on and off for about seven years now. And where are you from? So I'm from the U.S. originally. I was born in Connecticut, so not too far from Toronto, but I was raised most of my life in Florida. All right. Um, and uh, what 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 brought you to Hong Kong? So I'd say, you know, we're going to do a lot of talk about marketing, um, and that's my real passion at this point in my life. But before marketing kind of became my life, travel was my life. Um, it defined me. It was everything that I was, everything that I was, everything I wanted to be. And I just was on a path to live and visit and be a part of as many cultures and countries that I could possibly be a part of. And, um, on that journey, I lived, uh, I was a farmer in Portugal for a while. I, you know, sold golf coupons in Los Angeles. I, uh, I volunteered in Thailand and I ended up teaching English in Hong Kong for a bit. Um, fell in love with it here met my wife and it's been home ever since. Amazing. You're a farmer in Portugal. <laughs> yeah, you ever heard of Woofing? W W O O F? No, what's that? I'll make it fast. Worldwide Organization of Organic Farms. Basically, it's a work for lodging program, and what they do is they hook farmers up with travelers, um, and then what you do is you basically work on a farm for X amount of months. For me, it was three months. Um, they teach you how to farm. You do all the you know. Let's be honest. You know, you're not doing like high skill farming stuff. It's more of the for lack of a better phrase, the bitch work. Um, but in return, you get um, free accommodation. 
uh, and free food. So I lived just outside of the Algarve in Portugal for three months, and it was uh, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Fantastic. And while you were there, did you stay in Portugal, or did you were you able to travel about like Europe and stuff like that? I was for that three months. I was in Portugal the whole time. So, but then before and after that, I was I was all around Europe. So there are those. There are some people who have a map of the globe. Um, on their wall with pins on it. How full would your how full would your map be if that's what's the case? Um, it'd be pretty full. Like um, I, I I know people who definitely put me to shame for how many countries they've been to, but I, I think I'm like around the fifty to sixty mark for countries. Not that I'm counting, you know. But, um, <laughs> but if if I was, that would be the number. Um, yeah. Favorite place to visit? To visit, um, tie between excluding Hong Kong, tie between Vietnam and Mexico. And any place that you would never go again? Cambodia. Sorry. Lots of love, Cambodia. It was not for me. I'm a big, I'm a big food guy. And um, just Cambodian cuisine did not, we just didn't connect. It's not, it's right. not me. It's right. not, it's not them. It's just us. We weren't, right. we weren't a match. Right. I hear that. I hear that. Um, and, and what's, what's, is there a new place on that you're, that you're targeting next? That's a great question. Um, the wife and I will be visiting Croatia this summer for my first time. So I'm quite excited about that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So you, you've traveled a lot now. And what made you decide? So the way, the way that you and I got to know each other was through your YouTube channel that has a big focus on backpacks and packs right? Day pack slings and stuff like that. All and, above, that yeah. and, and congratulations on that channel. That channel is phenomenal. One of the best that I've seen in terms of, in terms of travel gear. Um, but what got Thank you me. into, what got you into starting that? So I, um, in, in, in the obsession that was my travels when I was in my early twenties, uh, I just became obsessed with freedom and wanting to be able to travel wherever I wanted to travel to and to never have to, work a job I didn't want to have to work. So I started reading about making money online and I don't have a lot of natural skills, but I would say one thing that I'm, I'm a pretty good at is writing. Um, it just always came naturally to me. So I started sort of getting into the blogging route, right? It just kind of made sense with my skill set and what I was trying to accomplish. And then blogging sort of opened me up to this world of digital marketing, right? So once you start blogging, you learn about SEO. Once you learn about SEO, you start with social media, right? And it's just this sort of thing that keeps on going. So um, I started blogging about 10 years ago with Nomads Nation, the website, and to mix success, it didn't really take off, but I kept it up. Um, and that sort of just led me down a rabbit hole where I ended up um, starting another website. Um, I started doing freelance marketing um, with SEO, with copywriting and whatnot. Um, and then over the years, I just sort of started ticking all these things off of my digital marketing resume. And one thing I had never done was YouTube. And um, I'd gotten pretty good at SEO at that point in time. I was working for myself um, and things were going well, but I, I just kind of wanted to cross this last frontier uh, mm-hmm. into YouTube and really test it out. And also I had this dream of starting my own backpack company at some point. Having traveled the world for so long, I got really into travel gear. Um, a lot of what we wrote on our blogs, my travel blogs was travel gear reviews, backpack reviews, messenger reviews, you name it, right? So I had this dream and I was like, okay, um, I want to dive dip my toes into YouTube and I want to make my own backpack companies. So I'm going to, so I started off the YouTube channel with the goal of helping it, helping me 
with research and development for understanding more about backpacks, being able to actually touch and hold and review backpacks, and then also to build a community that I could launch my own product for eventually down the line when I was ready. Amazing. And speaking of backpacks, um, we are audio only, but for those people who are listening, you have a ton of backpacks behind you. There's about how many, 50, how, how many would yeah. you reckon you have? I, this is one section I got. I, I probably got a hundred with me right now. We've sold about a hundred too. So, uh, so too many, too many, especially for living in Hong Kong where space is not, uh, <laughs> it comes at a premium. So, yeah. um, and, uh, so I, I, I got a few backpacks, that's for sure. It's been an interesting journey because when I first started, I was sort of, you know, buying backpacks my own and then asking for backpacks. And now they just get shipped to me. I got, I got like 12 backpacks sent to me today from one company. So um, the, the, the gig has its perks, especially for a backpack nerd like myself. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not complaining. All right, we're going to come we're going to come back to the backpacks. But you were talking about blogging and now getting into YouTube. Um, all content have their benefits. There are some people who enjoy consuming content by reading and others by listening and others still by by video. But you seem to have a focus on YouTubing. Correct. Is is that a was that a choice? Was that a personal choice for you to kind of lean towards YouTubing over the over blogging and over pushing SEO? Or was it like is it working together? Is it? Um, but what what led you to kind of make that decision? Sure. So I have two websites, Nomads Nation, and another blog called OneWeirdGlobe.com. Um, and I've been running those, and those are just traditional blogs. Um, we write about things to do here, where to stay there, right? Um, and I don't really write those anymore. We outsource to a team, but I started writing all the posts myself. But um, with YouTube, I'm basically fully into YouTube at this point. I still have my other blogs. We still do posts on Nomads Nation. Uh, we still scale content on One Weird Globe, but the majority of my time is on um, the YouTube content with Nomads Nation. And that just comes to, um, simply put, it's so much freaking easier. Um, and I don't mean easier to produce the content, that part's harder, but to rank for the content, to get views for the content, and to create relationships with the people that are watching the content, it's apples and oranges. And my only regret in my professional life is not having started YouTube three or four years earlier. Um, I just think it's, it's such, it, it has so much potential as a platform. Now, I never really was able to crack the code for Instagram or Facebook or other social media, you know, that's definitely not something I was good at. But having done SEO with blogging for years um, and just seeing how much easier it's been. Um, and I don't mind actually jumping into numbers like my my Nomads Nation, you know, website gets like 25,000 visitors a month after 10 years of content. And we put, we put a lot of money into the content. Um, I'm, I'm three years into the Nomads Nation YouTube channel. And we're 10 times 10 times in that. Um, so and, you know, I hope this doesn't come off as a way to brag. I just want people to understand, like, if you do, if you are looking for a way to sort of resonate and gain followers and gain a community and build content that actually gets views in a faster way, to me, YouTube is a much more efficient platform for that. So that's 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 the catalyst for why I've really pulled this 180. No, not at all. Um, we're we're going to we're going to give you one of the. Not a brag at all. Not a brag at all. Um, and if you got it, why not have a little flex, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so you you keep you mentioned easier a few times. 
what makes it easier? Why, why do you think, why do you say it's easier? Okay. So I guess that specifically what I'm referring to is just gaining views. All right. Let's say right now you start a blog day one from scratch and I'm not trying to dishearten anybody from starting a blog. A blog is a fantastic tool and especially for the right person who doesn't want to be on camera or has a knack for writing. And if you learn how to do keyword research and SEO, right, blog can still, blogs can still be amazing, right? But if we're just doing apples and, you know, just comparing these two things, if you do a blog from day one and you do 10 articles, you publish those on day one versus YouTube, do the exact same thing, YouTube 10 videos, that blog is going to take months for it to index into Google, to start ranking for the spiders to crawl it. And then you'll start getting impressions, but you're not going to start getting clicks. This is just the way that Google SEO works. That's fine. It's a part of the process. And yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, but versus YouTube, you know, we we published 20 videos on our first day. Um, we read this was like a, a good tactic, like was to publish like a, a large amount of videos on your first day. And we had hundreds of views the first day. We were in the thousands of views by the first month, you know? Now it still was a slow climb to get where we are today. You know, it's been three years of investing a lot of money and time and resources into content. But just to be able to see that those numbers right away that I could publish videos without having a following, without having any subscribers, and just to see that the way the YouTube algorithm works where it pushes out content to people immediately versus the Google ranking system, which is still an algorithm where you really got to work for it with Google, right? Google's like, well, where's your backlinks? You know, how many backlinks do you have? It's like, I'm working on that, Google. So, um, and that's another aspect of it too, where YouTube, Google is this multifaceted sort of marketing approach where you have on-page SEO and off-page. On-page being whatever's written on the actual page and the off-page is backlinks. YouTube, there's no backlinks. So it's just half that stuff that I would have to worry about is now taken out. And all I have to worry about for me, which is my passion, is creating quality content. Right. And I think another kind of benefit of doing something like YouTube is also if somebody looks up, say, for example, backpacks and they go to somebody else's um, video, there is a chance that as one of the related videos that your video would pop up. Whereas if you're going on somebody's blog, you have to go directly onto their blog and then search for the next blog. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Listen, I, 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 I don't want to, you know, undermine Google and blogging. Like, I mean, there are SaaS companies that are spending millions of dollars of years of pumping out quality content on Google, and their ROI on it is incredible. I'm sure, right? Um, there's still a, a place for it, but for somebody who's just trying to start out and who's okay being on camera, just in my experience, and it's a limited sort of um, experience that I've had. Um, it's just been, it's been so much better um, and so much more fulfilling, and the connections that I've been able to make have been much stronger. All right. And, but it does sound like you're still putting resources into your blog and it's not something that's kind of, you're just doing once in a while when you have time. You, you, you said you've got, a, you've got other people writing for you now for that. For sure. Why yeah, but, still um, put that much, why still put that much emphasis in it if, the, if you're seeing so much better return on YouTube? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, so I have a lot, a few different brands, right? So for one weird globe, it is just a blog. Um, we haven't done a YouTube channel with it. Um, I thought about getting into that territory, but to be honest, I'm trying to sell that at this point. So, uh, it's, it's on the market at this point. We're trying to sort of, um, get past that so I can focus more time on this. That's why I really outsource everything. I have a manager who's basically handling the blogging at this point so I can focus, um, 
the large majority of my time and my attention onto YouTube and the development of my own backpack as well. But they're sort of going hand in hand at this point. Amazing. Um, and getting into YouTube, what made you, because a lot of your videos, you're in essentially a studio and showing off your gear, telling people what the gear is all about. Mm -hmm. You travel so much. Why not have, you know, you see also a lot of travel vlogs, right? Why didn't you, why did you opt for this rather than that? You, you could, could essentially do a lot of what you do kind of by, so say for example, a backpack, as opposed to kind of opening it up on, on a giant desk and showing people what this, what this bag is all about rather than, or versus, you know what, I'm going to run around and show people how I'm using this bag and also be showing, showing off the mountains or showing off the cultures of Croatia, you know, what have you, you have a lot of, a lot of your focus is, is in the studio. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So actually our first videos, I'm not sure if you saw them from very early on, that's actually what I was doing um, was sort of traveling um, with my backpack reviews. So I would hire a videographer and we'd spend 10 hours. Uh, I was split, split between um, Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam and Hong Kong. And we'd go out all day and explore the city and I would do backpack reviews in the city. It'd be a 10 hour shoot. I'd be sweating my ass off the entire time because it was in the middle of the summer. Um, and they made for really great videos. And to be honest, um, a part of me wanted to keep doing them. Um, but it just comes down to scaling and like really content comes back, you know, it's quality of content, but also quantity of content. So we realized that in what would take us one day to shoot an outdoor review, uh, took us, we, we could do three of those indoors. And we did some testing to see if there was any drop off in engagement. Um, and there wasn't, so we're just like, screw it. I'm going to, A, I'm going to stay in the AC and not sweat my ass off. That part's nice. Um, and then B, um, it just allowed us to scale our content um, significantly more efficiently. But also with your question of like travel vlogging, something that I haven't done, which I've get, gotten asked to do is I'm also like I'm limited in my content. I'm not a very good algorithm guy necessarily. I talked about the algorithm and how it helps, but like there's YouTubers who are very good about getting viral videos, right? You can get 2 million, 3 million views on a single video. That's something that I, that's a, that's a, I haven't really cracked that code just yet. But what I know is SEO. So as opposed to doing like, you know, follow me today as I get a meal at some random restaurant in Croatia, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm doing keyword research and looking for search terms that people are doing, you know, let's say a backpack brand Osprey, right? I know via Ahrefs, my keyword research tool that 490 people a month are searching for that keyword and I'm targeting people that are searching that keyword. So I would say that my, my YouTube journey does have a very heavy SEO hand sort of incorporated it. Does that make sense? Yeah. But something you said there was, I, I kind of piqued my interest there. You mentioned that you're not really great at getting viral videos. Not yet. We're trying. So you are working on that. Definitely. I mean, you know, cracking the YouTube algorithm has been tough for us. Now, the good thing is that we haven't really had to, you know, uh, no, no, we don't have to just the SEO there's, there's sort of like two paths to success with YouTube. As, with, with YouTube, you're either the the algorithm's going to take you to the top, or you're going to just get consistent um, traffic via SEO. So, or you can do a combination of the two. So, we're trying to write scripts and really understand how to do more algorithmic type stuff. Um, we've got a video that we spent about a month scripting and shooting that we're going to have live, hopefully in a few weeks. So, we're hoping that's that's our big one. Um, fingers crossed. 
But um, that's something that we're still working on. That's something that I'm still learning with YouTube. Um, but the SEO perspective is really where we've sort of um, dug our teeth into. And I'd like to say that that's not just something you can do with product reviews, right? A product review is simple because you're just looking for a product. You make sure that there's uh, keyword volume for people searching for that product. And then you do a review on it, right? So it's, it's pretty simple, but people are searching for everything, right? And YouTube is increasingly sort of invading the Google um, rankings, right? I'm sure you're seeing as you're, as you're looking for something on Google, you're seeing more and more YouTube videos being pushed into there as well. So with SEO and YouTube, there's a lot of room for overlap between these two things. Right. So is there, is there a benefit in focusing on the SEO portion versus the algorithm? I, I, I can't say for sure because I haven't done much with the algorithm myself. Right. Um, but I can say one thing about the SEO, which is fantastic, is just the consistency. You know, like it's like when you start really getting a lot of blog post ranking, you're starting to see a lot of uh, consistent sort of traffic um, that you can sort of depend in day in and day out unless there's, God forbid, an algorithm update. Um, that's one thing that's great about YouTube SEO. You know, if I'm ranking for number two for best travel backpacks, I'm usually sticking around there for a while. So I can sort of gauge and predict my traffic then because of it. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And so back to back to backpack, because we all love backpacks. <laughs> well, at least you and I do. Um, yeah, that's true. But no, I, I think, I think your, your, your love for backpacks is a little bit different than my love for backpacks. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but what what got you started on this interest in backpacks? I mean, I, I know you were traveling a lot, but what got you what got you into it? Travel for sure. So even when I started traveling, I wasn't into backpacks. And even when I was traveling for years, I wasn't into backpacks. I bought cheap gear that that did me fine, you know. Um, but then as I was writing blog posts, you know, because I'm in the travel niche, right? I have a travel blog. So we do these different types of articles. And you know, one thing that you see travel bloggers do is gear reviews. So I'm like, I'll do those. And then I started learning more and more about gear. And it kind of piqued my interest. And I bought a few backpacks, then, you know, it just sort of snowballed into the obsession that it is today, um, where I'm just, you know, backpacks are kind of my life in so many ways. And of all these backpacks that you've used and tested, is there one that you kind of fallen in love with for yourself in your use case no let's, let's talk let's talk day bags as opposed to because travel packs uh, there's travel packs there's day packs there's all sorts of different packs right but but in terms of a day pack is there one that you kind of go to day to day that you're like you've fallen in love with I've got a few that I that are like in my top rotations. Um, I really love the modern Dayfarer backpack. It's a backpack from a, a company in Germany. Um, they just do it. They do amazing gear. Um, but everybody has their own things that they like for bags, right? Like for me, I like a good mix of features meets minimalism meets sleek, not too loud with a lot of quick access, right? So I have a certain criteria of things that I'm looking for in that backpack, the modern Dayfarer backpack checks all those boxes for me. Um, but I'd say that there's a few. Modern Day Fair, Able Carry's got a few. Um, Black Ember maybe, but in terms of like a dream backpack, not necessarily. Right. Um, but th those ones are close. How about you? I mean, I, I kind of throw it back at you, Tom. You got, you got, a, you got a dream bag? Actually, my favorite bag is one that they don't make anymore was an old Lenovo backpack. Oh, yeah? Um, I, it, it, it had this, it had the security pack in the back, 
That was very mm-hmm. nice. It, it doubled as your lumbar support. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice and big. And then it had a lot of pockets for, you know, all I, I don't like having to dig around for stuff. I like knowing where each thing is when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. And but when that kind of decided that it was going to start disintegrating after years of use, I was searching around and I found Nomadic. Um, mm-hmm. And that Nomadic pack, I only have two gripes with them. One being that security pocket in the back is tiny and like you can barely put your fingers in it, especially mm-hmm. with my meaty hands. And, then, <laughs> and number two, it's it's for whatever reason, and maybe I guess it's because they, they have all these features in it, but it's a lot heavier than most most backpacks. Like when it's oh, empty. Sure, yeah. That's like a three and a half pounder, I think. It's uh it's it's a heavy bag. Nomadic's known for having heavier gear. Yeah. So those are my two two kind of gripes with it. But aside from that, that's that's my go to. Yeah. I mean, those are two. I mean, I haven't uh, the first one I'm not as familiar with the, the nomadic. I mean, I could talk I could write a book about them. They're easily the most controversial backpack brand out there. Uh, they, they have a legion of cult like following and they have a legion of people that despise them and there's no middle ground. Um, so <laughs> and it's been uh, it's so every time I do a nomadic review, the comments section is always lit. Um, yeah, so they're they're a really interesting brand, but I really admire them um, as a business. They're they're a brand who understands marketing very very well. They're a brand that understands margins very very well. I think they're um, they're they're a phenomenally run business. Yeah, I mean, I I I mean, I found them on Kickstarter, and from my understanding, ever since like I started um, looking into their stuff, like it looks like every single one of their packs have been like launched on Kickstarter. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Kickstarter is, is such is, 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 a, is a revolutionary way to, you know, it, it, it's a pre-sale if, in essence. But I mean, yeah. Um, and you see this with the backpack world across the board, but there's so many niches, whether it's tech, whether it's backpacks, whether it's the gaming industry, um, both video games and board games. I mean, they, they have cult like followings across the board for Kickstarter. So, yeah, Nomadic uh, religiously launch all of their products on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And so in that, I mean, so when did you, when did you start getting, like you, you mentioned that when you were, uh, when you were traveling, you were using more budget gear and then you, you realized that during, through your, through your blog, that there was some interest in gear. Um, and, but of all the different types of gear. Correct. What made you get into backpacks? Um, I guess there's something about a backpack. You even said, you know, like everyone likes backpacks. You're like, well, you and I like backpacks, but I do think like everyone has a thing for backpacks. Like backpacks are just cool. They're really cool. You just have a different relationship with a backpack than you do really many other physical items in this world. It becomes a part of you. It carries your things with you. Like, I mean, you know, whether it's an everyday carry or a travel backpack, you know, it's something that you're just bringing around with you all the time. And like, I just really think like it's, it's, it becomes a part of you in so many ways. And I love that. And if you can find a backpack that really suits your style and it's, it's like having like a personal assistant almost just the way that things are organized. And I'm also just like a huge organization and efficiency and productivity nerd. So I find these things go hand in hand. And that's the same thing with my audience too. I realize a lot of like backpack nerds and carry nerds like myself, we're actually just productivity nerds at the end of the day. We mm-hmm. just love productive. Um, you know, there's some people who are geeking out on backpacks, probably geeking out on 
project management system and their to-do lists and calendars, right? So like I'm very organized and efficient in that sense. So backpacks enable me to enhance my organization in my everyday carry um, or in my travels. So I think when I'm connected those dots, that's when I'm like, I'm, I'm all in. But you didn't go down that EDC route, right? Everyday carry. I did. You didn't, you, no no now, knives, now. no no ropes, no, you know, band-aids. Not, not and... as much. Not as much. No, um, the legality of knives in Hong Kong is a little opaque out here. I really, nobody knows what the legality is, to be honest. So I just steer clear of that. Um, ropes, no, not really. But with EDC, yeah, I mean, like, you know, with slings and backpacks and what's in my EDC and tech EDC, I'm pretty, I'm pretty nerded out on that. But yeah, yeah. What, what I mean is you didn't go like in terms of in terms of your content, you didn't go that route. You didn't do I haven't you, no you, yet. you didn't get the, the lights, you didn't do the flashlights, you know, yeah, you yeah. know things of that nature. You you I went specifically backpacks. I live a pretty hyper urban lifestyle. So like like flashlights and ropes or stuff are just things that I don't need in Hong Kong. I mean, you, you've been to Hong Kong, Tom. You know it's like it's just a it's an urban jungle out here, right? <laughs> like there's never an opportunity where you we are not well lit. So, so those are things that I just haven't needed in my day to day, but I'm very open-minded to sort of test out those waters at a different point in time for sure. Right. And so you started getting into backpacks at what point, cause you, you mentioned this earlier that you had a first run at wanting to start, make your own backpack. What got you on that journey? Was, was it something that it was just a passion that you wanted to do this for yourself or was it something that you know, you found you couldn't find the right backpack or what What was it? Sort of a combination for sure. I mean, I, there's, there's a lot of great backpack brands out there. And I just thought in some ways that I had learned so much and that I, I, I thought that there was something missing. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I should say that. So I started the YouTube channel actually because I knew I was going to start my own backpack brand. So this was a means for me to learn about backpacks and to gain an audience, right? Because you know, it's, it's, yeah. So that's really, that was the end goal, but I didn't announce the entire time that I was doing Nomads Nation that I was working on a backpack. Cause this is actually the backpack that I'm working on is my second brand. So let me just clarify. I started Nomads Nation when I was working on a different backpack brand with a couple other co-founders. And we were about two years in, we were going to launch and then uh, things went south uh, with the co-founders. And unfortunately that launch never happened. So um, I had put all this money into this. We all had. Um, it just wasn't going to work out. So I was at a crossroads and I was like, I'm not sure what I want to do. I didn't want to leave the backpack thing behind. So I had a different sort of idea um, that I wanted to do for uh, for a backpack, particularly from a branding perspective um, and a community perspective. And I was like, I'm going to build this thing in public. So after the other brand failed, um, after we completely disbanded, I decided to announce on the channel that I'm going to build a backpack, launch a company, do it on Kickstarter. I'm going to document every single process on the YouTube channel to bring my audience along for the ride. Fantastic. And uh, we're, we're definitely going to get there, but I kind of want to go back into that journey. Sure. Um, because so, so this, this podcast is for small business owners. And I really feel that um, with your experience, and with your journey that it can help people who are thinking about embarking on this, that maybe some lessons, some inspiration and what have you. So I do want to go back on that because, you know, you, you mentioned that you mentioned that it went south and I'm not going to like, you know, like we can't, we don't need to go into details, mm -hmm. but 
you know, you, you, you started that backpack and how far along did you get? We were about six weeks away from launching. We had two bags. We spent about 80,000 US dollars split between the three of us. Um, and we were, we were ready. We were about ready to launch. And what, in terms of the bag itself, mm -hmm. what did, what, what takeaways did you have from that bag, those bags into what you're doing now? So because this is uh, this has been a two year journey now, right? And now four, more four. three or four. four right? the, it was two years with the first one, and now we're on a year and a half with the new one, almost. Yeah, about three and a half, four yeah. years. So, um, in terms of on. putting that, in terms of developing a bag, you know, you've you've gotten from you. you what did, what are some takeaways that you took from that to what's carrying forward to this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so to be honest, like if I was just making a backpack, I wouldn't feel super enth not enthused, um, super confident about what I was doing. For me, I'm a big, you know, branding guy. And that's why I was so, so talking this podcast and, and marketing and, and positioning is just so important to me. So for the first brand that the one that never launched, unfortunately, um, we knew that we wanted to take an angle, right? Because having reviewed all these hundreds of backpacks behind me, to be honest, Tom, like the differences between them are pretty minor. I mean, you know, one might use a ballistic nylon material versus a tarpaulin material. One might use, you know, this color. But really, they're all phenomenal freaking bags. And it's just going to come down to personal preference or whether you like one bag over the other, right? The Nomadic versus the Osprey or whatever. So right. I, what I saw was lacking in this industry is really proper positioning and raw, like proper like understanding of the market and like and branding the only brand that i ever saw in the in the backpack world that i think absolutely nails it is go ruck are you familiar with go ruck i've heard of them and I've, I've i've seen some of their stuff but i've never bought one cult like following huge brand uh dozens you know tens of millions of dollars in sales every single year um their founder wrote a book how to not start a backpack company it's a great read um and uh they understand because they're the biggest i'd say how to really market themselves they created a position they created an angle they created a community and they have a impassioned cult-like following because of it versus a lot of these other guys that i've been reviewing they're like you know they're designers who wanted to make a product and they make great products but they don't really in, in my opinion know how to sort of enunciate that in a in a way that um, makes sense or that really appeals to people. So initially with the first brand that didn't end up launching, our angle was an eco-friendly bag that would make, I don't know, what's, what's it, is it North Face or what's the Patagonia? Patagonia. That would look like, like, make Patagonia look like it's freaking Dick Cheney, right? Like that was our goal, like to, 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 to do an eco-friendly brand in a way that nobody could touch us with in terms of just every single facet of the business was optimized for next level sustainability. And that was our goal. And that was going to be our positioning. And um, that's why I was so excited about the first brand, because that was really going to help distinguish us. A lot of these brands or any brand, right? I mean, you see all the time brands like, oh, we use recycled materials. And that's sort of what they, that's sort of where it ends, right? You know, but um, how how recycled are the materials? Where are these materials coming from? Will you show where the manufacturers are from these materials? Where are your factories actually located, right? So we were going to take this radical transparency for sustainability. Um, 
So that didn't work out. And instead of me sort of doing the same thing with my new brand, um, I decided to still take a very, um, very aggressive marketing angle for a certain group of people and to make that sort of my thesis for the new brand. Um, and that's, so I guess in a long way to answer your question, what I learned from the old one to the new one was um, just to try and have, create as much of a story as I possibly could and to really focus on a specific niche and to just blow their minds um, with a mission that resonates with them on a super deep emotional level. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this new brand in a very different way. I love what you, I love what you just said because that was going to be my next question. <laughs> in terms of like, okay, so we, we learned what you took away from the bag itself. And then also what in that branding journey, what was, what's the, what's the process that's been different and you articulated that really, really well. So thank you very much for that. Um, so with, you also mentioned that the book, how not to start a, uh, how, how not to start a, a backpack company. Yeah. Um, what have you learned in terms of developing a company, developing a brand that wasn't working for the first one that you're hoping to fix with the second one? Okay. So, um, entrepreneurship is a lonely journey. What makes it less lonely is, is you, if you have business partners, there's no doubt about that. But, um, what can complicate things is if you aren't really, oh, if you don't have things laid out very articulately with those business partners. The details of what happened with my previous brand as to why it didn't work are doesn't really matter. But the lesson is, you know, um, if you're working with business partners, communication um, and getting things solidified up front from the get go in writing signed is extremely important. And it was a very valuable learning lesson for me and the other guys in the group that we didn't just do that the right way, kind of jumped into it. Um, so. I would say for how to not start a backpack company, the Aaron Radcliffe story, or any companies, if you are working with somebody else on a partnership and on an equity level, is to really hone in those details, really make sure that everyone's aware of what their roles are and what's expected of everyone. And that's a really, really, really hard thing to do, mm -hmm. especially as a company evolves. And as you go through a pandemic like COVID, you know, which hit us literally about eight months into us trying to do this. So you know, the cards were stacked against us in some ways. And, you know, we, I, we all went our separate ways. And I think we all learned valuable lessons from that. Um, but I would say, um, yeah, that's, that's one big takeaway that I would have is in terms of just like from the foundation, if you're working with partners is to just make sure and I've heard I've seen this horror story so many times, I think it's something that doesn't get talked enough about in entrepreneurial circles. Um, I listen to I, I geek out on entrepreneurial podcasts all the time, marketing podcasts, and I know that it happens from people that I'm, you know, that are in my circle. I know that it happens more than it's spoken about. And um, I wish that there was more of a light shined upon this because it's just crucial. You know, it's like a marriage, right? I mean, you just want to make sure that the that the expectations are set, that your values are aligned, that you just have that um, because otherwise you really set yourself up for some difficulties later down the road. Absolutely. And my background, I did a lot of sourcing back in the day. And so I think that for, so for anybody that wants to start a product, can you lead us through what the product journey is like, has been like for you? Um, for sure. From, from, from kind of inception of the idea, ideation to like how, what, how long has that process, what, what's been, um, 
what's what's been kind of what are some of the costs and what have you been looking at in terms of obstacles and like looking for factories and stuff like that like what's that process been like from from the beginning absolutely and the takeaways that i'll do for this are going to be sort of both the backpack brands the one that didn't launch and the ones Mm -hmm. about to launch is sort of like fusing them together um so i would say my background is I have no product um, experience whatsoever. I come from a copywriting and a marketing and an SEO background, right? So I had no freaking clue, um, but I knew that I wanted to make a bag and I just started, you know, doing whatever, whatever you start doing is just start Googling, right? Um, and then, so in essence, if you have a product, if you have a product idea, you either A, have to design it yourself or B, find someone to design it for you. I have no experience um, with design. You do not want to see my excuses for drawings. So I didn't even, I didn't even try or even think about it. Um, but I do know um, a very prominent backpack brand that I review constantly. Um, he totally taught himself. So he was like me. He had a he had a background in marketing, and he had an idea for a backpack. And he's like, I spent a year on YouTube learning how to draw my own backpacks. And he's he runs a very successful backpack company now. Um, so it's more than possible to teach yourself these things for me though. I didn't want to do that. I want to focus on my strengths and then, uh, work with people who are the experts, right? So that's sort of my theory. So, um, first thing is finding a designer. There's lots of different, um, websites out there where you can find designers for me. Upwork has always worked out great, but I've used Fiverr. Behance, I think is another one. Um, and there's another one that was just brought to my attention. I'm not going to remember it. We're like, like the, um, the designers are very heavily vetted, right? So on Upwork, anybody can sort of start, start a profile versus some of these other platforms, uh, they're very heavily vetted. So right. there's a lot of platforms. Just type in, you know, freelance product designers on Google and you'll find 20 platforms. So first thing is finding that designer. Now, when you're looking for a designer, and interrupt me at any time if uh, you have any questions, Tom, but while you're looking for a designer, it's good to keep in mind, okay, A, that if they have experience designing the type of products that you're looking for. So for instance, I'm looking for a very urban, sleek, minimalist type backpack. And I've worked with a designer who is very experienced with backpacks, but he's more sporty backpacks. And like you could see just like there wasn't that, that, you know, there was some conflict just like in terms of the design language and all these things. So you want to find a designer who really understands the aesthetic that you're trying to achieve. Also, as you're interviewing designers, I think that it's very important to ask about their connections to factories because one of two things is going to happen either a they're going to finish your drawings hopefully you freaking love them right and they say here you go and then like good luck right and that's it right mm-hmm. and then you're on your own again or they can say all right we're done do you want me to call? remember i told you about uh you know the, the factory in vietnam do you want me to now contact them and we can get this going like that's the best bet because a lot of these designers do have factories that they work with consistently or people in their network so Usually, if you get your foot in with a designer, that can lead you to the next step. Um, and then from there, then you're in, you know, then you're in factory mode, which is a whole new beast in itself. And what's what's that part like for you? Has what, from from seeing? Okay, so so getting the designer has designed it, and you've now gotten in touch with factory. What's that next step? So I don't know um, how it works for all industries, but I can tell you for backpacks. Um, we want 
before we start sampling, we'll start going into like the end of the design process is known as like a tech pack. And it's literally a technical drawing um, that in essence lays out every single last part of the product from the little zippers to the every little fabric cut, everything that it takes to make the actual backpack. And then the once that is established, the factory then starts with making mock-ups, right? So we're not actually into the sampling process yet. Sampling is when we'll actually have the right shoulder straps and the right materials and all that. But a mock-up is just like, all right, we're going to take this technical pack and take all these cuts and make a, a crummy backpack out of it with whatever we have lying around the factory just to see if we like the shape and the foundation. Because if we do, we can move on to the next step sampling with utmost confidence. If we don't, we're going to stop and make sure we get that part right before going on to the next part. Then you don't want to end up reverse dragging. You know, it's, it's a nightmare in that sense. So in essence, what you want to do is you want to get a fabric sample that is in essence a solidified foundation of the product. And then from there, you go to the actual sampling process. And if you have a really good fabric mock-up, the sampling process is significantly less time, less, less deviations, right? Versus if your fabric mock-up or if just your mock-up in general isn't very good, then the factory has to sort of interpret drawings, your foundation's not very good, and the sampling process really lengthens, um, and then it can cause you know a lot more delays on that end, which can be frustrating. So it's really encouraged based on the people that I talk to, because um, I've, I've chosen to partner with really great backpack makers who are very well experienced, and they you know this is this is their advice. So they're, they're, I can hear Luke right now preaching to me, preaching to you. Uh, this is the way, it, the best way to do it if you're going to make a product. Right. And then so you go from you go from the design to the sampling to the mock-up. No, uh, uh, so the design, mock-up, samples. Design, mock-up, samples, and then prototype? Hell yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, prototype. You know, there's different names for it, right? Like right. Different, different people call it different things. Um, then, you know, once you have a sample that you can use for marketing, you can refer to it as the marketing sample, the golden sample. And that's when a lot of brands will start their actual Kickstarter campaign. Because you might actually be two months away from the final sample, right? Like this is actually done. But you might be 90% the way there. And when you're 90% the way there, you just got to sort of tweak a couple little things to get to 100%. But you can still use that product, that sample, that marketing sample for marketing materials, right? So a lot of these Kickstarter campaigns or pre-sales um, or even some marketing you know, videos that you might see are, are not 100% complete products, but they know that they're almost there. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then once you have that, you can get the ball rolling with the marketing assets, right? Creative assets, photographs, product photography, and then you can move on closer to the actual launch. Awesome. And in terms of looking for that factory, like in my day, one of the issues that we had was the established factories that do well, they have pretty high MOQs, minimum quantity, minimum, minimum on quantity. Uh-huh. And then the ones that have lower minimum, minimum quantities are less established firms. But the ones that do have capacity to meet any range of volume that you might want to develop with them, some of the established ones don't even have the capacity for that. So there's this kind 100%. of there's this kind of there's this challenge of finding that right factory not only needing to 
meet your standards in terms of the quality, in terms of, you know, maybe how they treat their team and stuff like that. But now you've got, okay, there's minimum, minimum quantities that might, that, that that's, might be a struggle. Um, capacity, that might be a struggle. How, how, how was that search for you? What, what challenges did you, did you find those challenges or was it seamless or what was that like? Definitely. Tom, you nailed it. It's hundred percent right. Like it's a catch 22 in a lot of ways with these factories because the best ones, they're not going to want to work with some newbie. They're not going to have time for you. And the ones that do have time for you often aren't the ones that you might be wanting to make your product. And this is the challenge, right? This is why it's not easy to be an entrepreneur. This is why, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So it's about create, it's getting creative. Um, it's about, you know, doing the best with what you have, but also for me, it's about partnering with the right people. Um, so I was fortunate enough as to where the designers that I had worked with, um, had the, the feet, the foot in the door, right? So like, if I was going to the factory, just some random jabroni, like knocking on the front door, Hey, will you guys make my backpack? Like it's going to be a significantly harder versus having that introduction. So having a really good designer who has his foot in a door in a factory, um, can ease that process ever so slightly. Um, and then also just using what leverage you have to your advantage when we were um, my last brand trying to check out different factories, you know, they were asking information about us, about who we are, you know, and like I, we had never made backpacks, but we had websites with traffic, you know, mm -hmm. so that wasn't necessarily the same thing, but like, you know, it gave us something to sort of lean on, right? Something right. to sort of inflate ourselves up with. And I'm not saying lie, but what I'm saying is use what you have to your advantage, right? I mean, we all have different advantages that different factories will be like, oh, well, that's a very interesting thing, right? You know, we, my last brand, we wanted to get in the mood, this factory in Shenzhen. They had like, this whole application process and we, you know, um, but I told them all about Nomads Nation, you know, the YouTube channel, you know, um, the other websites that we had in sort of our sphere, um, you know, and, you know, I, I just made my resume look as good as I could. And they, they were absolutely excited to work with us because of that. So there's always ways to get creative. Um, but also with that, you know, on a side note, I am a true believer in just the power of content. So like, you know, if you are thinking about starting that journey, you know, if you have some sort of um, platform, these things never hurt. Right. In fact, they only help um, and they, they can change your life in, in, in very many ways as well. But I know it's not a viable option necessarily for everyone. Um, but yeah, I would say um, the simplest way is if you can't, if you don't have like a website or anything or any clout or anything like that. Um, a good designer can really help get your foot in the right door. That's, that's, that is great advice because it's really funny because it's, it's kind of, it's counterintuitive, right? You're going to this factory, you're giving them a customer, but they don't, they might not want you as a customer because like you said, you, you're, you're, you're nobody getting started, right? And all of a sudden you're, you're trying to sell them to sell to you. You know, and it's, it's totally kind of ironic, but it totally makes sense too, because these factories, man, like they have to put in a lot into the sampling phase. I'm sure yeah. as you know, but like you could be sampling different prototypes for a year and that's materials, that's labor costs. And these factories usually don't charge for that. They're starting to, you're starting to see them ask for like down payments and stuff, but, um, you know, it's a big commitment for them. And a lot of the times they'll, um, develop a backpack for someone over the course of a year and not get paid for it. Think they're going into production and then this person take the backpack end up going to a different factory with it where they can get a lower price right yeah. so the factory's got to watch their ass as well but yeah in essence yeah it's it, it is a little challenging uh and, and a little strange in that sense um but you know 
there's there's always new factories popping up and a lot of these factories what they'll do sort of an unknown like thing is they might take your business on um but they'll then outsource it themselves to a smaller factory mm, right yes. and uh, it's difficult to know sort of what's going on behind the scenes and what's happening um but it's all just sort of a part of the process this yeah. is manufacturing in asia um so instead of getting frustrated by it you know these are the rules of the game and just learn how to play within them is what i say you know when life gives you lemons you just make lemonade out of it obviously you know it's an overstated thing but like it's so true you know these are the rules this is how it works and you, you you'll figure out a way um right. if you have the tenacity you know and you really put your head down and try and figure it out so so from from ideation to that golden sample that you were talking about yeah how long does that process roughly take it depends my buddy is making a children's coloring book and it took him like four months god i should have made children's coloring books because for me uh the last one was my the brand that never launched was about two plus years and right now with um the new brand we're just about to hit the one year mark and we'll be lucky to launch in late 2023 so we're looking at a year and a half minimum mm -hmm. and what kind of what kind of costs are involved because you were you were mentioning that a lot of these factories they don't um they're not charging for these samples right they're not no not for like the labor costs but they might charge you for materials but like you know um a good wait, so what, what do you ask with the cost like just the entire thing to get where i'm at right now yeah so ballpark Right. I, I, you know, you, you have to pay for I, a designer. I have, no problem being, I have no problem being specific. I mean, I'm building this entire backpack in public. I have been like hit with this wave of radical transparency and how much fun it is. Like, why hold back? Right. You know, like, I mean, I'm not bragging I, I, when I say how much I may have spent on this, or the money that I made, like I'm just or the money that or the traffic that I might have. It's just I just want it. I know when I was starting off how much I wish more people were transparent with me. So I just hope that I can help people with the transparency. So we're at about 50 grand that I put into this so far. Um, most of that has gone into design costs. It was about 18,000 US dollars just for the design. Now, it did not need to be that expensive to begin with. We started with a very complex concept where I wanted to make a two-in-one sling backpack solution that connected in a way that had never been done before, in a way that was so cool in my mind, but was so hard to do. And we actually, we, we ended up leaving that and pivoting completely just to a regular backpack. Not regular, it's going to be the best backpack in the world. But, um, so there was some additional complexity with that. So it doesn't have to cost you $20,000, but, you know, a good designer is going to charge 150 USD an hour, probably. So if you just do the math on that, it's not like there's that many hours involved. Um, so we're at about 50 grand so far. The majority of that has gone into design and into, I have a partner now who helps me with production management based uh, on the ground in Ho Chi Minh. So a lot of money has gone to that as well. Um, but also I'm prepping for the Kickstarter campaign. And I put, you know, eight grand down on... Um, on a Kickstarter agency, I put, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting, I'm investing into branding as well. So that 50 grand that I've said so far, I would say that 20% of that is unavoidable, you know, but the other 80%, you can, you can get by doing it on yourself. You know, I'm, I'm somebody by nature who is a bit more of a risk taker, a bit more of an aggressive spender. Um, I don't mind swiping the credit card if you think that it gives me an advantage, um, hopefully ends up paying off for me. Um, 
but yeah, so I think that, you know, with that number, you know, and a backpack is a much more technical concept than my buddy who's starting uh, this kid's coloring book, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you know, it's also, it's important to take into consideration the product that you're making, right? right. Um, on top of it. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think that you're far from the mark because you're also in Asia where your proximity to a lot of stuff kind of also helps with the costs. Right. If you are making this backpack in North America, the sampling costs are going to be a lot more. Oh, if you're right? doing it at a North American factory, for sure. Right. So so a lot of the costs that you're talking about, I think even though you said like 80 percent of it maybe is something that um, could be adjusted for. But I think that if you and even even term, in terms of like designer work, in terms of labor work, in terms of people running around for you those costs are a little bit less in Asia than it would be say for in, in North America or in Europe. So, so I think, I think that it's fair. I think that ballpark in terms of 50,000, I think is, is, is a good number to kind of to take a look at it. Yeah. You're I just don't want to, I just don't want to discourage the, you know, the, the person who, you know, that number is completely unachievable for them, mm -hmm. you know, because if you want to make a product, you know, you can probably do it with that 10 to 15,000, you know, mm -hmm. um, it might not, you know, have the same legs that it does on somebody with a larger budget. But I just never want somebody to be discouraged and think, oh, 50 grand, this is never going to happen true, for me. True, 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 true. People, people launch products on Kickstarters with drawings, you know, <laughs> like literally they'll say, I have this idea for this drawing and I'm raising money so I can make this drawing a reality, you know? Right. So it should never discourage somebody, I would hope. Right. And um, great. That's a, that's a great point. Um, so let's talk about the company that you're starting now. You, you were starting. So what, what was that branding process? Because a lot of people, when they, I, I've all, I've always said to my clients, it is always cheaper to brand than to rebrand. And you've already rebranded within your first branding exercise. What was, what were you starting with? Where did you go and how did you, what made you need to change? So as I mentioned, the original brand that never ended up launching our um, positioning was. Um, no, sorry. Be, sorry, oh. Aaron. I, I meant your current company. Your current. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. But yeah, just, you know, okay. So the current company. So yeah, like I said, with the first brand that never launched, it was, it was eco-friendliness was the goal. Um, you know, like just a next level eco-friendliness. Um, so for this current company, I wanted to have something in a similar vein because I don't know. I guess it depends on, it depends on the way that you see the way things are with marketing. I just think that like, uh, we're in a time where there's so much noise and mm -hmm. it is just deafening. The, there's enough content to go back to the beginning of time at this point. Right. Um, and it's just, it's never ending. And with artificial intelligence, it's only going to be more and more like the, the saturation in this world. It's just, it's tough to cut through. So, I think that to start a brand in 2023 and beyond, you just need to have something that really resonates. Not with everyone. Don't go wide. I think that you have to go niche. That's what I did with Nomad's Nation Backpack Review Channel. I could have gone wide and done, here's a flashlight review, and here's a rope review, and here's a backpack review, and here's a shoe review. Um, I, I've really just done 90% backpack reviews, and I'm, I'm owning that market. You know, we're a small channel. It's only 30,000 subscribers, but you know, we're making decent revenue and we're getting a community behind us, mm -hmm. right? So I think that it's really important to, when you're first starting is to go 
more narrow and to really pick a lane and to own that lane. Um, so what we're doing for this new brand, the new brand is called Firo, and that lane that I'm trying to just dominate is really appealing towards mo more go-getter type people, uh, doers, creators, founders, entrepreneurial type people. Um, that's sort of my target audience that I'm just going to be, and that lifestyle element um, that sort of appeals to that audience is going to be the bread and butter of this brand. And literally every decision that I make for this brand, this is my hypothesis, is that an emphasis on lifestyle and community all within that sort of a, a scene of a tribe of go-getters um, can hopefully um, get us a, a decent launch. So that, that, that's the branding position that I'm focusing on at this point in time. What's, what's the new company's name? What's the new brand? Fyro. F-Y-R-O. Okay. So you have Fyro now and it's for go-getters. It's for entrepreneurs. But that wasn't what you were planning on naming it before that. Correct. I was first thinking of Venture Nation. Uh, well, actually, I was thinking of Venture. Um, venture didn't work out for a few different reasons. And I'm glad that it didn't work out. And the reason is Venture... Well, first of all, I got, yeah, when you when you start trying to find a brand name, you get into the world of trademarks and domain names, and right. and that as a cluster, you know what? Um, so venture is so closely. So I wanted the name to be venture initially because the word venture for me conjures up um, images of people starting side hustles and startups. You know, like the actual a, a venture, right? The problem is that the word venture is also in the word adventure. And adventure is synonymous with backpacks. And there's so many freaking backpacks out there that have some sort of variation of the word adventure in it. So my trademark attorneys that I hired, they were like, you, this is, you just don't do that, please. We beg you. Don't do anything with the word venture in it because there's, a, there's it's, it's already been done. There's so many trademarks out there. You are just asking to get, you know, screwed over at a later point in time. Um, and I was—I thought it was really good advice. So I—I I, uh, I pivoted, and we looked for a very brandable name. I really wanted to get two syllables. Um, so when venture didn't work out, um, we uh, my my graphic designer and I we looked at some other ideas, and we ended up um, going with Fire Up. And I'm actually kind of glad about it too, because venture, while I do like that venture encompassed the mission of the brand in a single word. I think it's a little limiting in some ways. I've sort of had a 180 on my beliefs with branding of the name. You know, Nike doesn't call themselves shoes with a Z, right? right. No. MailChimp sort of pigeonholes themselves now that they're trying to get out of just email, right? They're trying to get into social media and stuff, but they pigeonhole themselves with that MailChimp. So I sort of like, um, you know, the Nike angle right the Allbirds angle Allbirds is a shoe company but the name transcends shoes it's more of a testament to the lifestyle um and while venture would have worked i sort of i, I like that Fyro doesn't have an immediate sort of um and it doesn't bring anything to mind right away um right. nike obviously it's the the goddess of victory or whatever but mm -hmm. most people don't know that they just think it's right. a cool word right so. so between venture or venture nation and Fyro. Did any of, did anything in the branding process in that journey, did, were there changes within that or was it just the name that you were looking at? I don't understand your question, Tom. Can you say, ask again, please? So in your hypothesis of what Venture Nation was going to be mm -hmm. and what Fyro is going to be, is there any deviation when you revisited um, 
when you when you were revisiting this, or it's just the same thing you were just looking at a different name? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was no deviation whatsoever. The brand has uh, evolved naturally over time, but not because of the name change. No. Okay. Um, for me, it's yeah, it's it, it's it's the same thing. So what? Why fire? What's what? What's what's the name and trying to encompass? So I'm not like a huge name stickler. Like I mean, I I, I do think that like you know, if you asked a hundred people, ninety five of them wouldn't know what Nike means. You know. If you ask 100 people, 99 wouldn't know where Google comes from, right? So um, I was looking for a name that was brandable, that rolled off the tongue nicely, that looked good. Um, and we had made a logo for Venture, and I liked the graphic, and it sort of resembled an F. And I was like, let's just try and get something with an F because it looks cool. And then to be honest, like, we'll just... You know, so, so those were our parameters. And then me and my graphic designer, we looked at a million different possibilities you know, fusing Latin words with Greek words that begin with F that mean tenacity or victory, you know, just going ham on this, right? Because I still want the brand to have as much meaning as possible. And then every time we'd cut, we, we had this, we had one that I freaking loved. And then we asked the trademark guys like, oh, it's already trademarked. Uh, it was just, it was one thing after another. Um, and then my graphic designer said, how about Fyro? And he showed it to me and I was like, it looked cool. F-Y-R-O. It didn't bring anything to immediate association to me. It was two syllables. It reminded me of fire. And I was like, screw it. Let's go with it. I asked the trademark guys. They're like, yeah, this actually this actually works. Let's, this is the trademark. So um, I think that it was an initial sort of liking of the word. And also, I think that you can build your story around the name. Um, I think that with the branding, we sometimes get a little too caught up with having a name that absolutely has to have meaning versus realizing that we can make meaning around the name. So for me, fire represents the passion in your life. It's that burning fire to carve your own path in life. And I just made that up, Tom, you know, not now, but like in general, you know, but like, right. but I think that you don't need to be sort of pushed into a lane with your name when you, when you do have the creativity to, to say, you know, to, to, to sort of, I don't know, Create what you want with the name. So that's that's what it is with Fire. It's something that I, I I don't take too seriously, and I'm really stoked about the name itself. I think it I think it's got a very powerful sounding name, and uh, and it looks pretty good too. No, that's a great name. Um, and so, what are you planning? What are you planning to do with it now? In terms of, okay, because because the challenge right now is that you have a product that's in design, that's in development. And now you're trying to build um, momentum around it. Correct. What sorts of things? What sorts of things? Because especially, especially because you've decided that you're going to do this very publicly. So actually, why don't we start there? What do you mean by building this very publicly? I mean that um, I got the idea. So my original brand failed. And then about three weeks later, I made the decision that I wanted to make my own backpack brand by myself. And then about... Three days later, I decided that I would announce it on the YouTube channel and publicly build, build the backpack publicly. So what that means is I literally made the announcement on June 14th um, of last year. And every facet of this project is being documented online from the money that I'm spending to the people that I'm working with to most importantly, the actual designs themselves. 99.9% .9 of the time that a product is being made, it's being made behind closed doors, um, which is understandable. Um, you want to make sure that nobody's stealing your idea, um, that you have it kept under close wraps. And I just said, screw that. Um, I understand why people do that. 
I understand the risks that I'm taking by doing the opposite. But I think that the pros of doing this will outweigh any of the cons. And so far, um, it's one of the best business decisions that I've ever made because seeing my community or just the carry community in general get behind me and see their fascination with this process and seeing it built transparently, um, it's it's been a game changer, um, a complete game changer. And has, have you already seen that when those benefits? Of course, because so we have, um, we had like an email list of like a thousand people. And then um, um, once we started announcing this, so basically like now Nomads Nation is a vehicle where I'm reviewing backpacks, but I'm also pushing people towards my email list, right? So we started with about a thousand people on the email list. We weren't doing much with it. And then I got really serious with the email list once I made this announcement about a year ago. And we've grown the email list up to 4,000 people at this point, and it's highly engaged. And the email list, every week, I'm giving behind-the-scenes look into this journey, right? So I'm looking at this more as like a documentary or a, a behind-the-scenes insider look into documenting the process. I'm showing them every week what's happening, every week what the updates are, every week, week what the struggles are, every week what the expenditures are, every week what the new design challenges, Right. So as opposed to just throwing this on my people or my community day of the launch, guys, big surprise. I'm working on this for two years. Here's my backpack. They're literally following the entire process and I'm having them vote on some of the key features. So I didn't want to just build this by myself. I wanted my community to get involved. So every month or so, I'm throwing surveys at them. What color do you want this thing to be? You know, what where what location do you want this pocket to be? Which material do you prefer? Which back panel do you guys prefer? And I'm literally leaving up it up to the audience. I can't overrule certain things. I've had to maybe once or twice for budget reasons or, you know, just we weren't able to actually do something. Um, but getting the community involved and seeing their participation and how excited they are to be a part of something that they love. These these guys love backpacks Mm -hmm. and a lot of them want to make their own backpacks. They have a dream to, right? That's why they buy five, 10 different backpacks. So their ability to contribute to the experience, to be a part of the experience, to be heard. Um, I made a um, commitment that on the day of announcing this, I would respond personally to every single email message and comment that I ever received from the channel until I launched. Um, so anytime anybody emails me with ideas on features or this, that, they get a personal response within 24 hours. And I'm really building a community of people who are just feel like they're a part of something. Um, so that's been the most impressive part because like, like, let's just take one example, like when it was, when it really dawned on me. So I was looking um, to have people test samples of my backpack, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanna get the community involved. And um, I was like, all right, um, I need, you know, 10 people who want to test samples. Here's the deal, though. Samples are expensive, so you have to pay for the sample and for the shipping. It's probably going to be around 200 US dollars. You know, if you're interested, apply here. And I had like 250 people apply just wow. for that. And that blew me away. I, th- I was expecting 10 or 20 people, you know, and it was, it was, it was, it was maybe a little less than 250. It was like 220 maybe. Um, and that's why my email list was at like 2,500 people. So, um, it's just, it's just what I'm doing is different and I'm not the first person to do this. I mean, I, I give all the credit to Gary V. You, you follow Vaynerchuk? I've seen his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gary V social media savant. He's just always saying, he's like, 
because he's always all about, you know, social media creation. He's like, don't create, just document. He's like, there's, there's, there's an unlimited amount of content in your life as a business owner, as you're telling your story. You don't need to think of all these crazy ass social media posts. Just document your freaking life, man. And um, it makes the content process so much easier. I don't have to like make shit up. I just, hey guys, I'm doing this. And I, you know, um, so. And it's, also, it's, and it's, and it's authentic. It's very it's authentic. Journey. And oh, you're and, bringing and, people in. And, and, and the, the vulnerability is a real thing as well, which, which is, it's, it's terrifying in some ways, you know, to do this. And if I fail, I'm going to fail very publicly. If I, I'm going to run this Kickstarter, it's going to be very public. Um, but people are attracted to that story. The, I just, it's, it's, I can't, I know not everybody can do what I'm doing, but I do think that this blueprint is not tapped into enough. And that more people should really, really look into it. Not the exact way that I'm doing it, but like if more e-commerce companies out there, if you're an e-commerce owner and you own a company and you've got a couple flagship products and you're thinking about developing a second one, don't hide it. Like start it from day one with your community and just watch how obsessed your community is going to be with that because they're going to feel like they own the brand with you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I am. I think a lot of people don't do that because they're scared that their products are going to get ripped off, but it's going to happen sometimes anyways. I mean, you, you know, the, the backpack brand peak design. Yeah. Do you see how bad that Amazon ripped them off? Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. it was, it yeah. was That's bad. Amazon. If Amazon can rip off peak design and with no repercussions, anyone can rip off anyone. It's just, it comes with the territory yeah. and whatever that you gain from building a following will be negated. If somebody tries to steal from you anyway. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And and so are you, are you like the people who are giving for, who are paying for this and to, to review the samples with you? Are mm-hmm. you giving them any incentives to do so? Or is this, it was just, you know what, I, I, I'd really appreciate this. And you're, you're, you're a part of this journey with me. So I actually haven't started that process yet because we're still, we're not quite there with the sampling process. Right. So I've got everybody lined up. I know who my peeps will probably be. Um, no additional perks. They just want to be a part of it. These people yeah. were willing to pay to be a part of it. So they're just excited to, you know, experience this. Um, and, uh, no, I'm not really giving anything additional. I, I I'd like to actually, no, I think I said, I give them like an extra percentage off of the Kickstarter. It's like an extra 20% off of the already 50% that they get. So. Okay. Wonderful. So what's next and what's next for, for Firo right now? Firo. Um, for Firo, it's, Firo. um, it's okay. Um, it's just continuing to build momentum, right? So, I mean, you know, we're going to be launching on Kickstarter in the next six months, I hope. So the goal is just to have the biggest possible audience possible for that launch. And that just means continue documenting the process on Nomads Nation. And it's just, con- it's just content. It's just content, 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 content. I'm living and breathing content right now uh, on YouTube, on Instagram, Um doing the email marketing and just getting the biggest audience that I possibly can. So A, it's generating the audience, but then it's B, once I have the audience really taking care of them. It's not just like set and forget, you know, it's really warming them up and making sure they're engaged and giving them content that they want. So it's, it's, it's a content game right now. I've got uh, the backpack is being developed. I've got the production team in Vietnam. They're helping me with that. They're experts. I'm letting them handle most of it, to be honest. Like I know the direction this goes in, but they're, the experts, they're handling the majority of this on the ground. My goal is just content. And um, 
it's one of those things that you hear everyone's like you know you need to make more content for your business but it really changes the game when you have a community and when you actually have eyeballs on your products because in this day and age like i said with how saturated it is that's what you're struggling for attention is is money and if you have people's attention you have a chance of you know it's why you're doing this podcast tom right obviously i'm sure you know you're enjoying connecting with me right now but at the end of the day this podcast is enabling you to reach out and to you know just connect with so many people which opens different avenues for your business yeah and really i mean for for us um our our mission is to help small businesses thrive mm-hmm. and so having stories like yours and thank you so much for being so forthright with the information that you've 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 been you've been providing for us and being so generous with it um but that's kind of that's really what we're hoping to be able to provide for for people who are listening to this podcast we don't look at this as a podcast. We call it, it is, we call it a podcast, but we look at it as a, uh, as a resource library mm. for anybody that's, you know, looking at different, th- different things in terms of small business. So thank you Love so that. much for that. Is there, before I let you go, and there, I have so many more questions, but, be, but I, I know, you know, I, I respect your time and I know, I know we're, we're kind of leaning into it right, right now, but for people who don't know about your backpack, who aren't backpack people, who are listening to this, who might be, who, who you want to get interested in this. Is there, why, why are they, is there something that you're, that Fyro is able to provide? Is there, is there a special feature or that makes it different that the general population might say, you know what, I want to look into this bag. Great questions. Um, so, you know, obviously after having reviewed 300 plus of the best backpacks in the world, I've learned a thing or two about what makes a great backpack and what sort of backpack I'm sort of like remixing, like I'm taking all the best things, the best backpacks that I've ever reviewed and then sort of putting them into a pot and just boiling them and making what I think is going to be the greatest backpack in the world. Um, won't be a cheap backpack. This is a premium product, you know, um, but it'll last a lifetime and it'll sort of change you know, the, the, the goal of this is, you know, as we were talking about earlier, is I'm a productivity, productivity nerd, is it'll elevate your productivity. Um, and um, really, the features that we have, you know, a backpack, there's a few different things that you need for it to be a perfect backpack. It needs to be comfortable, it needs to be durable, it needs to be accessible, and it needs to be secure, right? And my goal with this backpack is to merge those four things in a way that no other backpack before it really has. Um, so... Like for instance, one thing is access and security, right? You got like a, oh, you can't see the video, um, but you have a backpack with a front pocket, right? And that's great because you swing the bag around, you can grab whatever you need. Voila, it's right there. But then again, if you can grab it that easily, so can the thief behind you on the MTR or on the, on the Metro, right? So we're implementing a system that enables you to have these best of the both worlds, which is very rare, very difficult to accomplish, but um, we're bringing some new things to the table, which are really exciting. But like I said, we're leaning into the sort of go-getter, founder, creator, entrepreneurial lifestyle. So, you know, it's people like you and I who are laptop warriors, you know, going on those, you know, catching, you know, catching last minute flights, jumping on trains, jumping in and out of Ubers. You got a meeting at a co-working space at 12, and then you got to catch a coffee with a potential client at, you know, 1245. That's your lifestyle. This bag is made for that. Um, we, we, we're calling it like, it's like a cheat code for efficiency, uh, this backpack. So, Awesome. That's sort of the route that we're taking with it. Awesome. And if anybody has any questions, if anybody wants to check out 
what this new backpack's going to be like. How do they get a hold of you? Um, check out my YouTube channel, Nomads Nation. That's N-O-M-A-D-S Nation. Um, and on any single video that you click on, my email address is there. Um, and there's also a link to sign up to the Nomads Nation email address. Every single video, um, sign up and you can be a part of the Building a Backpack project where you get to vote on some of the key features and get a behind the scenes look at what it takes to build a product from the ground up. Um, and then also, um, yeah, you can reach out to me via email anytime. I personally respond to every single email. I'm looking to connect um, with other like-minded entrepreneurs. I have a lot of things that I've learned. And if you have any questions, please shoot me an email. I'll get back to you within a couple of days. Awesome. And I will vouch for that. That's how Aaron and I connected. Um, I was looking for a sling, pa a, sling uh, a couple, maybe about a year or so ago. And I let him know all the, the my use case and how it was and what I needed it for. And Aaron gave me a suggestion using the the Air Tech Bag Two, I believe it was, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, and I've been using it every day since. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much, and really the best of luck with your your journey. And definitely when that Kickstarter launches, I'm gonna I'm gonna be ordering one. Ha, my man! I I'll hold you to that, okay? Absolutely. All right, Tom. Take it easy. Thank Thanks. You. This podcast can be found on Spotify, iTunes, a bunch of other podcatchers, and wherever it is that you're listening to from now. Um, if you're enjoying this content, please like, subscribe, follow, rate, hit some bell icon, tell some friends, have a cookie, and definitely, definitely send smoke signals to help with the algorithms and to grow this community. And please let us know your suggestions about things that you'd like for us to talk about or if you just want to chat. We can best be reached at podcast.coyote.com. I'm Thomas, and thank you for listening to the Coyote Small Business Podcast. Mm -hmm.